the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. A very happy new year to all of our Caregiver SOS On Air listeners. We're delighted to have you with us for this first show that we're recording in the year 2016. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernio. She is chair of the board of the National Council on Aging, a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the uh, head of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and does a lot of other stuff community-wide for well met. Nice to see you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You're back from Amarillo. Back from the blizzard, yes. If anybody was watching the Weather Channel over the holidays and that horrible blizzard that came through the Texas Panhandle, you know, we we had 50 mile an hour straight winds with gusts up to 65 and blowing snow. So the day before, you know, they'd been warning us this hurricane, it's coming, the blizzard's coming, it's coming. So the day before, everybody went to the grocery store. Picture right. 20 checkout lines, 15 people deep, <laughs> yeah. no milk, no eggs, no bread. I mean, like locusts just cleaned out the place. And literally, we did not get out of the house for two days while the winds raged, but we ate well. You sent me some pictures, uh, which I'd asked you for, and uh, huge drifts piled up against the house. Well, that was it. We lucked out. We didn't get the 18 inches of snow they were predicting, thank goodness. Right. But we did get five to six inches of snow, which in 50-mile-an-hour winds, you had bald spots, and then you had places that had right. five-foot drifts. So Amazing. it just depends where they stopped. Well, I saw some of it. I watched part of the Sun Bowl, which needs to be renamed. That football game needs a new name now. It was unbelievable with the the snow coming down. Yeah, uh, yeah. And some places really got hit hard, and then of course, you know, the further north you went, it was more ice than snow, right. which actually is worse. Oh yeah. And then that's the right. rain and the tornadoes. It was it was just such a weather hodgepodge. And for some reason, I thought you were driving back, but you flew back, so it was a lot easier. Yes, I flew back with the other people who didn't fly back on the days <laughs> they wanted to. There were people on the plane going, "When were you supposed to leave? When were you supposed to leave?" I was like, "No, I was booked today. I was always leaving today." That's funny. But the airport had been closed and flights delayed and oh, canceled. Oh, and thousands of flights. Yes, yes. It was really one of those wonderful things that only happens during the holidays. Now, a sidebar to that, for people, caregivers traveling with their care recipients, in some ways in winter you have to anticipate those kinds of problems because if, if you're stuck in the airport with somebody who needs meds and care uh, that may not be available at, at that airport, you can really be up a creek without a paddle. Well, you can, and it does take some pre-planning when you're traveling with somebody that has special needs, whether it's an infant, whether it's, you know, an older person, and that always having, you know, your house keys, car keys, meds, uh, a clean pair of underwear, need I say, you know, things like that, that for you and the other person, you know, I always travel, having been stranded several times, I I'm always travel with a, a good kit that I'm, I'm good for at least 24 hours. I may have to repeat after right. that, but 24 hours, I, you know, I'm going to make it. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because a whole lot of folks have been busy uh, trying to keep that New Year's resolution just made a few days ago. Some have already broken them. Instead of New Year's resolutions, Carol, uh, you've got five ways to make positive change. Well, this came out of Next Avenue, um, and I really, I was looking at these this idea of positive change versus New Year's resolutions because only 8% of people keep their New Year's resolutions, and most people break them by the third week of January. So one more week to go, and you can just toss those out the window. But I thought these tips, you know, particularly thinking about caregivers, really made sense. And the first one was um, from Greg McEwen, who wrote Essentialism, A Disciplined Pursuit of Less. He said, decide what is most important. He talked about how we all think we can do everything 
Instead of acknowledging we have a finite amount of time, resources, and energy, right? And caregivers, we know that. There's only 24 hours in a day. And so that deciding what's important and putting your energy into that and letting other things go and stop trying to do everything. And not feeling guilty about not getting everything done. Yeah, and not feeling guilty about it at all. So, um, you know... Just doing doing what's vital. Get rid of the trivial. Get rid of the re- the you know the worthless kinds of things speaking, that don't really contribute. To speaking your day. of vital, I need to remind folks coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking with Carol Levine, who will be joining us. Uh, she's with the Healthcare Project at United Hospital Fund. She direct f- directs the Families and Healthcare Project, and they have a new guide coming out. Uh, everything you need to know as a caregiver about electronics and a whole lot more. I know, and I love that. Uh, I love that Carol's back on the show and our first guest here in twenty sixteen. And I love that uh, the United Hospital Fund is thinking about uh, all those bewildered caregivers who see all the gadgets and apps and everything and are wondering, how do I even start with this stuff? I'm the guy who wants every app, every electronic device ever made. I don't need them, by the way. No, I want fewer apps and more photo room for photos on my phone because I'm very (laughs) low tech. So, but we were talking about, we were talking about positive changes besides you know, looking at this guide that Carol's going to be talking about. Uh, The second one was, it says, do good for others. So apparently, you know, our brain rewards us when we do good for others. It reduces stress, lowers our blood pressure. They said it's the brain's natural painkiller. You can actually measure the effect of volunteering. Well, there are a lot of caregivers who are out there (laughs) who are indeed volunteers. 24-7. And so acknowledging that, you know, that this is something good that you're doing because you love this person, because you feel like it's important for you as a family member or as a friend, but kind of rewarding yourself. Like, consider yourself a volunteer, um, and and maybe you'll you'll feel better about that. Uh, The third one was be kinder to yourself. And I love this analogy. This is from the University of Texas professor, Kristen Neff. And she said, you wouldn't tell a friend. If a good friend came to you and said, I feel terrible, I'm depressed, I'm down in the dumps, you wouldn't look at them and say, suck it up. Right? Get over it. Get a life. You know, but that's what we tell ourselves. So many times we think, you know, we let we let ourselves down. We're not perfect. We're not doing the job we should have done, particularly in caregiving. And we think, oh, just suck it up. Oh, you're whining. But we wouldn't say that to somebody else. So why are we saying that to ourselves? So be a little bit nicer to ourselves. Kind to yourself. Kind to ourselves. Forgive ourselves. And number four is forgive the person that needs forgiveness the most. Oh. So, and I love this one. It says, there's a saying that says, holding on to anger is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. So you take the poison and you think the other person's going to die from it. So, you know, Not going to happen. Yeah, all that anger. And as ca- a lot of caregivers, I think we, we have a lot of anger. And we may, you know, we may, may need to forgive mom, dad, spouse, somebody in our life for getting sick, for needing care. At times, we may be we need to forgive a sister or a brother who refuses to help and are not doing anything. I mean, there may be somebody in our life, and, and that anger really, it impacts us. It's really not hurting them that much, but it's doing a lot to us. And so um, if you want healing, create room for something good in your life. You know, forgive that person that needs it the most. Uh, and then the last one was go slower and get there faster. So instead of setting big goals, as we tend to do at New Year's, I'm going to change everything, um, you know, you can just do 10 minutes worth of organizing a day, maybe three times a week. So don't reorganize your whole house. Start in 10-minute increments, a drawer, a shelf, something small, and then you're going to feel a sense of accomplishment and you will be ready to do it again as opposed to, oh my gosh, that took all day, I didn't have time for it, and, and you don't feel good. Because you did too much. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. Just a couple of moments, we'll be talking with Carol Levine about all kinds of high-tech stuff that caregivers may or may not need and how do you decide whether you need it. We're talking at the moment about some items that Carol has picked up in the news that may be of interest to you and certainly to me. One, (laughs) all right, show of hands, who said, all right, Beginning now, I'm going to start exercising. For 2016, I'm going to the gym. Well, you found eight secrets of people who do exercise 
regularly, and you are one of them. Well, I, you know, I must confess, I do exercise regularly. That's one of those habits that I picked up along the way. Um, and, you know, we talk about exercise simply because if there was a magic bullet or a magic pill, exercise really is that magic pill. It's great for depression. It's great for your health. Um, you, there's so many benefits from it. So if you, this is the year that you're going from couch potato to someone who exercises, who does some sort of physical activity, not running marathons, uh, talking to some of the people who, who are lifelong exercisers, this would, okay, the first one is not me. Get exercise for, done first. It's easier in the morning rather than coming home at work when you're tired. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to. Ex- I don't want to have to exercise first thing in the morning. It hurts in the morning. But they think you should be exercising first thing in the morning. Exercise when it feels good to you. For me, when I'm tired after work and I'm feeling fatigued, exercise re-energizes me for the rest of the day. So I, for me, that's a perfect time. So I would just say exercise when it's when it's good for you. Um, and when you exercise, number two is. You know, take the focus off what you're losing by exercise. I'm going to miss TV. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get to do something because I'm spending this time exercising. To thinking about what is it you are going to get. You're going to fit in the pants. You're going to have enough energy to, you know, play with your grandchildren. You're going to lower your blood pressure. You're going to get off a of medication. What is it you're going to get in return for exercising? And focus on that, that glass half full. Gina and I have a... Uh video program that's a walking exercise program and the woman who does it about three quarters of the way through looks at you through those little beady eyes first and says you know nobody after exercising said they're sorry they exercised no no and you always feel better i love my sister um you know she decided to quit her gym membership and at a garage sale found a box of you know old richard simmons yes. workout tapes yes. and all of these old workout and they're just loving it because they laugh at the eight you know the headbands and the sp- right. spandex and the costumes that people are wearing but they're still good exercises and they're being highly entertained while they're doing these old tapes so, i like that so you know maybe something fun like that number three is make do with the time that you have so you don't have an hour don't wait till you have an hour to start exercising this can be where you park in the last parking spot in the parking lot and walk up to the store. I hate looking for parking spots anyway, so I'm happier at the back of the lot, so that works well. Um, you know, getting out of the house is a great way to get motivated. So sometimes if you have the home weights and the home, you know, treadmill or whatever that's just sitting there, that may be a sign. If it's been sitting there for like since last year, the year before, the or year before. Or it's become a clothes rack. Yeah, or you've got things hanging on it, which is an excellent example, that it maybe you need to get out of the house. You need that external motivation. So that could help. And then imagine the future. So to keep you extra, what is it you're going to get out of this? What does your future look like if you're 50? So picture yourself 20 years from now. What do you want to look like at 70? And what are you going to have to do to get there? And probably exercise is going to serve you well when you start imagining For the sure. future. Absolutely. Absolutely. So keeping up your appearances, that also helps energize you as you're a caregiver, as you you know grow older. Um, and then realize that your priorities and your motivation may shift, whereas you might have been a runner in younger years. Maybe you're like me. You've given up ballet and you've taken up flamenco because ballet hurts and flamenco is fun. So it's both for exercise. Uh, so pick something that's fun for you. Maybe it's Zumba. Maybe it's a walking group at the mall. You know, your motivation may change. So give up that exercise you hated. Go find something you like. You've been on the search for a new flamenco teacher. Have you found one? Uh, I have not yet, but hope springs eternal. Because yours retired. They I should know. never retire. My castanets are getting dusty, Oy. what can I say? Oy. That, I hate uh, when that happens. Well, we're going to pick up Carol Levine in just a couple of moments and talk about technology and caregiving. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a WellMed patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our 
clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my WellMed physician spends with me. And you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to. And, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Well, we are so pleased you're with us here on the first Caregiver SOS on Air that we have put together in 2016. We hope you had a great New Year's and that your year ahead looks wonderful. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're delighted to welcome back Carol Levine. Like on Saturday Night Live, some hosts co-host and return uh, for multiple times. And I think, Carol Levine, Director of the Families and Healthcare Project for United Hospital Fund, you are the guest who has returned the most, and we're delighted to have you. Well, thank you very much. I feel as if I should say live from New York. <laughs> and that's where you well, are. And you are. Uh, Do you ever go to the show? <laughs> no, I haven't. Haven't been in the audience? I haven't been in the audience, no, but um, I have watched it many for many years, or at least on and off for many years, more often in the early years <clears throat> than recently. But Well, um, well it's yeah. really so cool to have you on. Uh, in okay, 1991, yeah. Carol founded the Orphan Project, Families and Children in the HIV Epidemic. She also is a MacArthur Fellowship uh, recipient, uh, a, which is an incredible award. honor, the Genius, Genius Award. Award. And you were our keynote speaker at the last Caregiver Summit here in San Antonio just a couple of months ago. Yes, and I enjoyed that so much. And Everyone was just so um, welcoming and generous, and it was really a, a lovely day, and I thank you for including me. Well, you all have a new uh, Next Step in Care Guide coming out. Uh, yes. and, and the it's, t- it's online now. Oh, cool. Um, so um, anyone who wants to take a look and go to our homepage, nextstepincareoneword.org, uh, and um, it's actually linked is. There's a link on the home page, but it's also under the list of family caregiver guides. And this is our um, attempt to bring to family caregivers a kind of systematic way of looking at all the new technologies that are out there that are well advertised, some of them, some of them that are harder to find, and say, is this really something that would be good for you and your family member, or is this probably not? relevant to you. Uh, it's really a it's really a very confusing marketplace. So we wanted to try to bring some uh, order to it by reviewing some of the key products and services and saying here are the kinds of questions that you would want to ask. Well, and that's, you know, this is an area that's so important because you do hear a lot of advertising. Um, you there are a lot of products out there and you know, some of us may be under the impression that they're going to solve all of our problems, and they're probably oh. things that are they are better suited for some than others. Right, right. And I think the, it's very important to really take a good look at your own situation and say, first of all, what problem are you trying to solve? And it's often the ads and the hype and all of that tells you you have a problem and this is going to fix it. That may or may not be your problem. So you really want to know, you know, what your problem is, um, whether um, this system or device would help. Um, who is the beneficiary of it? Is it something that your family member is going to use and benefit from? Is it something that will help you? Um, or is it something that will help you both? Um, I think one of the things that is often not thought about is, you know, what do you expect? What what would be a realistic expectation from this technology, whether it's an electronic technology or something that is more mechanical? Um, and, and, you know, a, a, a lot of the hype around this is, that, as you say, will solve all your problems. Well, it's not going to, and you don't want to be disappointed. It's, it's a question of realistic expectations. And I never have felt, 
and I th- I don't think I'm alone in this, that technology is going to replace human beings. It's going to replace some of the drudgery of the tasks we as caregivers have to do. Um, it can do that, and that would be good, but it's not going to replace you as a caregiver or you as a daughter or you as the person who is requiring help. So I think we have to look at it in those terms. Did you all actually... Uh, like Consumer Reports does, take these little devices home and assign them to some of your staff people and use them? No, we didn't do that, Ron, because we didn't feel that we had the capability of evaluating product by product. Um, And right now, um, the only thing that I was able to find that was an actual comparison of product by product was by Consumer Reports, and it was looking at probably the most common uh, device, which is called Personal Emergency Response System, or PERS. Right. That uh, that's the thing the, that you wear on a pendant or clip on your yeah, belt. I've fallen and I can't get up. I've fallen and I can't get up. Um, and they did um, do a, a, a very small comparison of of those products, we felt that we weren't we are not the right organization to do that kind of a comparison. Although it certainly could be done, but also would have to be redone and redone because these things change and sure. are modified and new things come along. Well, talk what to we us. wanted to do is more a general look at the whole area and say this is what's out there. These are the problems that they might be mm-hmm. able to help you with, and here are the kinds of questions. And I think one of the things that is very seldom talked about in any of the discussions is, what is it going to cost? These th- these devices, for the most part, are not covered by insurance. There is one exception that I know of. There may be others, but uh, Medicaid, at least in some states, um, will pay for these PERS devices, these pendants. But the trade-off may be you're going to get a few aid hours because you've got this device that's supposed to tell tell somebody if, if you fall. Um, but generally, this is going to be your own money. So you really want to be sure that if you're going to spend money, that it's going to be of value to you. Well, let's go through um, the categories uh, and give the, folks an idea. You broke right, it down into the five. The categories that we included are um, things that are electronic organizers and can be things that would help you organize a schedule, help you keep track of a person's medications, um, help with appointments and uh, emergency kinds of listings, anything that would be... can keep track of, say, who else is going to be coming to the house and helping you. That kind of, it's really for the, that is really for the benefit of the caregiver. Helps you get organized. Uh, another kind is this kind of emergency response, which can be either something that you wear or something that's in the home or that you can, that can um, monitor outside. Um, the things about organizing healthcare information, having access to a patient portal, having access to a personal health record that is a little more than a schedule keeper. I think a really important area is communicating with friends, family uh, members, uh, professionals, having a, a electronic way of communicating rapidly and getting a rapid response. Um, and then there are the PERS and the home monitoring systems, which um, are at the more expensive end of, of all mm. of these uh, devices. I think, you know, depending on the situation and depending on your needs, whether the person lives with you or doesn't live with you, if you're out of the house all day, you may have a need for a different kind of monitoring. Um, a lot of, also, a lot of what um, is really critical and that never gets talked about is will will your family member accept this? Will the, you know the ads show happy older pe- happy older people with their pendants? But 
I know of a lot of people who, yeah, they agree to them, but they don't wear them. Right, <laughs> or at least they well, don't wear them when the, when the caregiver's not there. I'm thinking of um, one of our, our well-med uh, executives who's, you know, they got the mother one of a pill-dispensing device to help her manage the medications, and so at intervals during the day, the right pills that she's supposed to take would come out, and she would take them out of the machine and put them somewhere. So, you know, the machine would send an alarm to the family right. if she didn't take her pills. Well, she quickly figured out that, you know, yeah. if, she, if she didn't, yeah. you know, she could do whatever she wanted with the pills as long as she took them out of that box That's when they funny. came down the right. chute. I'll tell you another right. sidebar to that. My, I grew up in uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland, and that uh, community and perhaps others around the country, Carol, and you may know, have this. They do have an alert system that the fire department for the city of Shaker Heights operates, uh, which if, like my mother after my dad died, living alone, they had a monitoring system in the house, and every night they would check uh, to be sure that everything was all right. Uh, and, and one night at about 2 in the morning, my brother Jim, who lived way out, still does in the suburb of Cleveland, got a phone call. Uh, Mr. Eisenberg, this is uh, uh, Shaker Heights uh, Fire Department. We're standing in your mother's bedroom, and she's not here. <laughs> and he said, that's because she's here with me. We forgot to tell you. Oh, oh, yeah. And so there, and I, and I think that you know, we, I know we're about to break for commercial, right. but you, those are all the kinds of you have to think, you know, all the way to the end user. Exactly. What are all the things we could trip up on once we've ad- adopted this right. particular device? It's a great service, and uh, uh, it just missed that little link about well, you got to let them know you're not home. Stick with us, Carol <laughs> Levine. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're talking about electronic devices and other ways in which. Technology may or may not help the caregiver. We're talking with Carol Levine, who is the director of the Families and Healthcare Project of the United Hospital Fund. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we're talking about uh, the incredible number of devices that have come out, uh, designed, and the promise, of course, is to simplify your life. And, Carol, you all have put together a guide, which is online now, that folks can look at and download. Right, right. And it's in four languages, as all of our guides are. It's in uh, English, Spanish, uh, Chinese, and Russian, and it's free. Um, And it really is an introduction to the most basic kinds of technology that are currently available that you can go on the internet and order. Um, they don't require a doctor's prescription. They're not like wheelchairs or hospital beds or things like that, which come under the heading of durable medical equipment. We have another guide for that. Right. But this is stuff that's being sold directly to the consumer. Um, and I think, you know, it's really important to think about how uh, the product or the service would fit into your daily life and and what it means for you as the person who is going to be responsible for making sure it's working, finding out you know, if it needs to be repaired, how do you get, get it repaired, and as you say, what do you need to do to keep this uh, service um, performing <laughs> the way it's supposed to and not bringing people to your home um, in the right. middle of the night when, when, you're, when they're not supposed to be there. Right. Well, and one of the things you talked about is how um, likely is it that the person you're caring for will accept it. Yes. And a lot of yes. times that has to do with how much privacy do they have to give up, you know, yes. with this device, whether it's just the home monitoring bracelet or is it smart house technology where now, you know, the whole family is knowing when they get in and out of bed, go to the bathroom, how many times they go to the bathroom, or there's a, you know, a speaker, a, a two-way communication speaker actually in the home. Where, Wash your hands, Mom. You know, somebody could someday come over and on a loudspeaker, those kinds of things. Right. And I think people have different tolerances for that kind of intrusiveness or loss of privacy or perceived loss of independence. I mean, in a certain way, uh, you know, many people just would find this, well, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a child. I'm not a dog. <laughs> I'm a grown-up. Um, 
And other people really welcome the gadgets and like to have the newest. So it's really, I would recommend any caregiver who wants to introduce something along these along this line is to have a, an honest talk with your family member if the family member is able to communicate about it and and say, you know, it does mean giving up a little bit, but just think it would really make everything, everyone feel more secure, feel, make you feel more secure that you know that we could get help very quickly if needed. Um, so I think it's not something to be done secretively. It's not something to be done to put over on the person and we're going to install the camera, but you won't really know it. It's really, um, much more, uh, a negotiation, and I would honor the person's refusal at least, unless it's the only, only, only way. But not all of these devices are, you know, intrusive, and some of them may be quite helpful, especially the ones that are the organizing or the communicating ones, where it really does bring a social aspect to it. We have um, a monitoring and, and makes you connected with people. On the other hand, you know, somebody was telling me, yeah, we have Skype. My my mother, we try to show her how to use it, and she just can't even push the button. You know, the people who have arthritis in their hands can't do these things. So there are a lot of things to consider and not be overwhelmed by, well, you must have it, because that'll give you this so-called peace of mind. I was going to say, as you know, we have three young children in my house, and we have a monitor camera in the twins' bedroom. They're almost three. Uh, and many a morning they'll wake up uh, and they walk over to the camera. You see these eyes looking right into it. And, and they'll say, hi, and then unplug it. <laughs> so okay. even the young ones. Again, <laughs> again with the end user. Yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, I think this is an area that is going to change very rapidly. One of the the biggest impressions I have from the White House Conference on Aging this past summer were the number of speakers invited that were private companies that deal uh-huh. with caregiving issues and technology they are developing. And they are saying the nonprofit world's been too slow. The, the for-profit technology companies are going to solve these caregiving issues. And here's what we have to offer. Well, I... I welcome technology developers looking at, clearly they see this huge market. But what I really hope, and this is something that we're trying to work on, is that people who develop products or recommend them, um, that there be some clear understanding of the caregiver perspective. What is important to the caregiver about this uh, technology? And the limited um, experience that, that we've had asking people, it's, it, is it easy to set up? Is it easy to use? Is it reliable? I mean, you know, we all know about glitches with ordinary technology, much less this sure. stuff where someone's well-being depends on it. And can I afford it? That seems, from my perspective, it seems as though a lot of the the um, devices and, and products are being aimed at a at a higher income level market, which well, is probably not where the need is. Higher income and probably higher tech savvy. Yes, so, and indeed. it's probably. I mean, we're getting there, but there are probably more younger people. Um, that are right. very good with technology that may not have the caregiving burden that, you know, more of your traditional caregiver. And, and what you said about being easy to use, I'm telling you, if you can't plug it in and it works, it's not going to work. It's not going to work <laughs> at my house because I just yeah. want the technology to do what it's supposed to do without me thinking about it. Has to be it. self-starting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't think the technology developers are there yet because it, for them, all of this is so natural and so almost intuitive right. that they don't understand unless they really pay attention and have real ways of, of, of observing and seeing what people do with them that um, it, isn't, it isn't self-evident that you do need some guidance on how to set these things up and how to make sure they're running and all of that. Um, and, and that, I mean, one of the other things that I think can be an issue is what are you going to do with all that data that comes through if you're doing, you know, a, a monitoring system? Who's going to 
sort through that? How do you know? How do you recognize when something is really amiss? I was reading this morning an article about alarms in hospitals, which have become so noisy, so prevalent, that no one pays any attention to them. And, and when there really is an emergency, that that emergency is lost in the, you know, in the background noise of alarms and beepers. So there's got to be a way that this, whatever this system is, if it's going to alert you to something, you've got to really be pretty sure it's not a false alarm. Well, and I know that one of the technology companies that has all the monitoring and generates all the data for a little more money, they will interpret the data and look for patterns and, you know, give you greater feedback on what is actually going on, which can be very helpful. But again, you were talking about costs. It's good for some people. It might be, you know, put other people out of being able to afford it. Well, what they may do, uh, Carol had a story a a few weeks ago about how they've now trained pigeons to read mammograms, uh, where they can do a better job than radiologists in spotting. 80% success, you know, In spotting potential breast cancers. Maybe what we need are pigeons in our homes who can... Absorb and analyze all that data. <laughs> Just spot the peck at the trends. Exactly. Oh, well, that, that'll be fun. <laughs> but, but I mean, I think the bottom line is they can be very helpful. These things are helpful, and and we're at the first. This is the first generation of these things. I got an invitation today, not to really go, but to let me know what was happening of a of an event um, at a senior center that was going to be a, a technology fair. And among the things they were showing were robots and drones and the self-driving cars. I, mean, I was saying this is what's going to be in it's going to be in Palo Alto, and I said to myself, I don't think that would work in the Bronx for some reason. Well, Carol is a big oh. fan of robots. Yeah. Oh, and self-driving cars. I, and self-driving, I, self-driving cars. cars. But you know, I, yeah, I, I, I like a self-driving. I like a car that is driven by somebody else. Well, you know, what's funny is the self-driving cars, recently an article came out saying that they're getting tickets because they're driving too slowly. So if everybody on the highway is speeding, if if the self-driving car is doing the speed limit, there are many places where that is alive. You know, that's terribly dangerous. It's high risk. Because everybody's 85 and you're doing 65. Right. And so they're getting rear-ended because everybody's coming (laughs) up on them too fast. So, as you look at all of these devices and as you consider, uh, there are some products that have become can't live without. And for many people, that's become the smartphone, obviously the automobile. Is there any of the technology that you're aware of, Carol Levine, uh, that may become can't do without for caregivers? That's a good question. Um, and I have to say that um, automobile, um, I live in New York where we walk for exercise and I don't have a car. So, although I did in other, when I lived in other That's places. That's true. So for me, automobile is not, not a necessity of life. I think that um, for people with dementia living at home, probably the, the some sort of personal um, emergency response system is probably the most significant thing because people uh, do fall and they cannot, you know, call for help themselves. I don't see any of the others yet as essential, and I cert- I think they're assist. They they perform a service, but that's only goes so far. They do not replace a human being. And I think we always need to remember that one of the problems, and Carol as a gerontologist knows this, of aging is isolation. So do, there is a lot of talk about using robots as social um, interaction or, you know, there's, they have these little baby seals that you can use. We she, saw, she yeah, wants we saw one. that. I saw <laughs> that. Wants one. They're $7,000, so, I mean, though. Yeah, but, you know, wh- why is that? Why do we need those things when we have people who could be per- performing that kind of uh, interaction with an older person that so they're not right. isolated. Right. So they're if that's the problem, somehow a baby seal is to me is not the only answer here. Um, it might I might might be nice. You know, I like them, but um, 
I'm pet. <laughs> pet is good too. <laughs> I, um, we just love so that. I we... think it's it's really within the context of human interaction that that a, a a an electronic or some other kind of device can really support the caregiving situation and remove some of the drudgery, but not replace the essence of caregiving, which is person to person. Well, and I, you know, I hope that people will go online, check out the guide, and not only that guide, but all of the wonderful guides you have on Next Step in Care, because you have one really good information on getting into, you know, if you have a hospital stay, leaving the hospital, right. so much good information. It's a wonderful well, website. Nextstepincare.org. Right. And Carol Levine, thank you so much for coming on. We uh, hope to have you on again soon. Oh, I'd be delighted. Thank you, you take so care. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Carol Levine, director of the Families and Healthcare Project at the United Hospital Fund. And uh, as we pointed out, like Saturday Night Live host, she's the longest running repeat guest here on Caregiver SOS on air for good reason. She always has good information. Unbelievable. And, and really is one of the leading caregiver voices out there. We shift next to Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. That's coming up on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me. And you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to. And, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Thank you very much for joining us on Take 10. We come to you after each and one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here. And joining us for each of our Take 10 programs, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert in caregiving and addictions. And Dr. Jamie, Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on. Happy New Year, Ron. Happy New Year, Carol. It's great to be back on. It's going to be a wonderful year, giving uh, hopefully a student some innovative information to our caregiving listening audience. I'm excited. Well, Carol has gotten out her crystal ball and has picked a topic for Take 10 that has a lot of uh, ramifications. For 2016, yes, as I looked into my crystal ball, which is sometimes a little cloudy, but I did notice, oh, hey, it's an election year in case you didn't notice. (laughs) with all of the talk going on. And I was thinking, well, here we are in another election year, and I'm hearing a lot of different topics. But, you know, caregiving is not at the top of the political flagpole in terms of topics. And so, Jamie, I was just wondering, you know, as you think about caregiving, you think about families, the issues, how prevalent caregiving is. So many people are doing it. Why aren't we hearing about that issue in from the political you know pulpit you i can tell you carol it's a great question and, and it's a, something that needs to be addressed and actually before i was working with caregivers um i guess you know back in the late 1990s if you will i used to always work with addicts and alcoholics and, and this they run the exact same marginalization issue with politicians and the government as caregivers do it's an unsung almost silent sort of majority of people. In the case of addictions, it's one out of ten, but it hits every family member, brother and sister, and so those numbers are misleading. With caregiving, it's also one of those silent sort of stigmatized issues, and don't forget your constituents are not coalescing around any sort of of organization that that can actually speak for them. We do have organizations around the country, like most issues, disease foundations, but, again, it's not one that speaks for everybody in unison. So 
It's this identity issue with bags over our heads, shame and stigma. And I think it's a but, huge... But, but let me back up. Why stigma? By politicians not to look at this group because they are voters. Well, they are voters, but why stigma? What is it? Why, why is there stigma associated to caregiving? Well, it's a behavioral health issue. Always going to be a stigma, and just it will. It's easier to take your, your mom and dad to a hospital, to an oncologist or to a cardiologist. Uh, but as soon as you talk about stress, anxiety, depression, um, I'm doing more compulsive behavior, um, I'm oh, it's getting more self-esteem, you're on now stigmatized uh, roots. Because there's so much about caregiving that has to do, number one, with the way we feel. It, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about the other person, there's you know the family dynamics, which is all psych can be psychodrama as well. So and, and those are issues related to seeing a therapist, talking to a counselor, and that is marginalized. That's what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely, and self care is, is it has to be at the heart. You know, this is what we talk about it all the time. But here's the gig: without self care, there'll be no self esteem. And, with, and without self-care, there'll be nobody speaking about their issues because at the end of the day, they'll feel vulnerable. They feel it just compounds their low self-esteem. They also uh, feel, and we also feel as caregivers, I should say, like these are our families and, and we need to be supermen, superwomen and, and just heroes from Marvel Comics and make sure everything works the right way. So we think when the world looks at us, uh, they're looking at somebody who's failed. Well, so how surprising is it that given the prevalence of Alzheimer's, lots of diseases, growing number of old people, that the only system that we have in the country is either 100% private pay, so that, you know, you've got to absorb $6,000 a month to $5,000 a month for assisted living or a nursing home. And not many people can do that. Or you, the government fund pays for it 100% because you have spent down to Medicaid. Long-term care is the most, I think, critical issue that this country has to address. Um, It was not covered, clearly, in the Affordable Care Act. It it was not. And I think that that's a a tragedy. You're describing a, a, you know, bourgeois, proletariat sort of uh, situation, and Ron is correct. Most people can't afford those numbers, but those who can, again, is, is simply the rich getting richer, quote, and the poor getting poorer. We have not looked uh, from a Medicare uh, perspective. Uh, first of all, assisted living facilities are not obviously skilled facilities, so they don't really, uh, they can't take Medicare. That is a self-pay environment. They don't take Medicaid either. Uh, but when you're looking at skilled nursing homes, I, f- I think it's the biggest shame in the world. You have to spend down somebody's assets, give them low self-esteem as they need dignity in this world as they start you know, transitioning and make them feel like hell just to afford a bed. Well, and, and, you know, if we had some sort of shared responsibility, you know, whether it's uh, long-term care insurance, you know, I don't want to say the TAX word, but some sort of a tax that would fund some sort of, you know, a system like Social Security, if it was a shared responsibility, public-private combined, you know, I can keep my loved one at home in the environment I would like to keep them in and the one they would like to be in, which in, up to a point is less expensive than institutionalization if I don't have to foot 100% of the bill. You can get the help you and, need. And, I, and the government doesn't have to sp- you know, foot one hundred percent of the bill. Does that sound? Like, do I sound like I'm running on a socialist platform? No, no. Actually, you know, the, our politicians have parents too. Don't forget, our politicians are caregivers as well. I do believe that um, until it happens to you, you really are never going to be aware of it. It's the, it's just the same issue where Ronald Reagan was the kind of the lighthouse for Alzheimer's. Uh, it was something that they could relate to, and therefore it got big. But I, I truly believe that what you say needs to occur. Um, and I think anybody, whether you're on the right or the left, realize that this system has huge inequities in, ter- deals, in dealing with long-term care in our seniors. Well, Jamie, go back to 1964 when Medicare is first proposed. It, it passes Congress uh, in- intentionally over the years. Uh, coverage for long-term care has never been included in Medicare. For what reason? cost? You know, it is a huge cost. End-of-life issues are, are, are probably the most expensive times, of course, for any insurance group, including Medicare. So, um, But that does not take away from the fact that this is a, a, absolutely a vital thing to address. And I do believe that long-term care, um, 
we have to be looking at it entirely different in forms of reimbursement. It cannot just fall on the, on the charitable foundations, the quasi-governmental groups like the Area Agency on Aging uh, and groups like that. We are so far behind the eight ball, I hate to say this, Ron and Carol, as a society on long-term care. I don't think in my lifetime any of it's going to be solved. Well, and, you know, one of the reasons I bring it up um, in a public forum like we have uh, is that there are the people that do go out and vote. These are the types of questions. If you're a caregiver, uh, you should be asking your candidates, you know, what are you doing to help families like mine? You know, because I, you know, in my own family where you have someone who has to quit their job to take care of somebody who has Alzheimer's, you know, there are tons of families like that. So many women and now a growing number of men are, are faced with caregiving issues. And we should be asking, what do you plan to do with this growing population that needs care? And why is it Listen, falling on our shoulders? Unlike the addicts and alcoholics I was talking to initially, caregivers today, usually the boomers, have disposable income for the most part. Some of them, obviously, many don't. But I must say, they choose health plans. They choose doctors. They choose the medication. They choose the assisted living, skilled nursing. And they are the most reliable voters out there. Like today, when uh, I'm reading about you know, heroin addiction and Kasich and Christie and everybody now is talking about heroin addiction, I believe a candidate is certainly missing the boat by not bringing in this caregiver piece. Those caregivers not just go out and knock on doors, but they reliably will absolutely honor anybody who honors them. Now, for those who just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air at 930 AM. The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zorniel, and we're listening to Dr. Jamie Heisman address the question of, in the political mix of this campaign, uh, where is caregiving? The answer so far is nowhere. Well, and I think that we have, we need to raise the issue. We as caregivers need to raise the issue. We need to be more vocal. We actually, it needs to belong in the political arena because we don't have good policies at this time and there's too much burden. Jamie, I'm going to let you have the last say on this. My last say is exactly what you said. Listen, Carol, you are one of the most prominent gerontologists I know who run one of the largest organizations in the country. If you think this is a problem, uh, you are speaking for a lot of constituents and people who sit around your board of directors table. Um, I have to think that this has to be something we all need to get together, all need to get together in a political fashion and really cause the ruckus. Got to stop uh, you right all there. All I can tell you is when you hear you know, movements like Black Lives Matter, uh, we have yet to actually put a political group together to deal with long-term care, but it has to be done. Thank you. Bang the drums loudly, Dr. Jamie Heisman. Thank you. Carol Zerniel, thank you. Caregiver SOS on air, take 10. I'm Ron Aaron. This is 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com